Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hey, and what's up? Welcome to another special edition of EST, the podcast for the Established Church. We are recording together in person, which we found out last episode, all of our all of our recordings are live. This one is in person, as the rest of them are. The um, I want to start this podcast off by saying that uh, we are so thankful for our sponsors, Southeastern Seminary and Pastor Talk. You can check out both of them. First off, Southeastern Seminary, sebts.edu, and Pastor Talk at lifeway.com slash Pastor's Talk. One's a great seminary, one's another great podcast. Check them both out. Today's topic we're going to be discussing is something that I think that everybody everybody deals with and it's um, what do you do what do you guys do what do we do when your leaders or your key leaders have a disagreement with you what do you do when airplanes are flying overhead as we're recording a podcast can y'all hear our airplanes (laughs) well again we said this on our last podcast we're recording outdoors so there's ambient noise as we record we are in phoenix arizona downtown beautiful beautiful city with a pungent odor it's got an odor i don't i don't I don't it's, quite. I can't. It's French for a stank. So for our Texas listeners, I think yeah. it's propane. I think it's some sort of gas. But anyway, to blow up. the question is a good one. What do you do when leaders disagree with you? Right. And, and here's what I want to let, let's throw this caveat in. What happens when you're the leader? You have authority, but leaders that you like and that you know and that you trust disagree with you, mm. which is going to happen if you're a leader. In the so church, it's liked for any and trusted of time. one. I think we can I mean, talk, I think a we can talk about, broader, but yeah. I want to talk first. What happens when the people who you like and trust and know disagree with you? And, and I'll tell you this, just right off the bat: whether I like, know them, and trust them or not, or whether I may not like them, I think the first thing you do is you listen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's legit. I, I want to know. I, I don't like anybody disagreeing with me ever. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, if you disagree with me, I don't like you. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> hook them horns. Oh my gosh! I think, Go I think this is, but I this said is, this, this today. This I was talking to somebody and said, "I love opinionated people as long as oh. they agree with me." Yeah. <laughs> I, I love. I people. like opinionated people, and I, so I used to work for Ed Stetzer. I've always said the best leadership lesson Ed ever taught me was surround yourself with strong-willed, opinionated people and give them permission to disagree with the boss. Mm. So I think that's an important leadership step. But when they disagree with you, whether you're happy or sad about it, you need to be at least giving consideration to whether or not there's any truth in what they say. Mm-hmm. Even when people disagree with you poorly, there may be some truth in what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I would I would just take even a, one step back and say the fact that you would know that people disagree with you is a good sign. Agree. Because if you're in a leadership position and no one ever disagrees with you, you are either completely ignorant of what's going on, and that's very dangerous, or you're a tyrant. Right. And then that's just dangerous for everybody. And they're afraid to disagree with And they're you. afraid, yeah. yeah. So right. the fact that you would even know about disagreements is, is a positive step because you certainly don't want people keeping things from you. No. Um, that's a sign of distrust. So that someone would come to you and express that is, at least to some degree, a sign of trust. That and a sign of health. And a sign of health. That's right. Because if you're leading... You are going to have good 
faithful people that disagree with you. It's going to happen. So I, I just want to start there. This is this is something that will happen. Well, remember period. this too. If you're raising up leaders in your church, which means you're doing your job. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I think I've been on record about this. I fundamentally believe it's your job to raise up leaders in your church. Like have a pipeline? A pipeline. Ephesians 4. That's you, great. Can't, you can't get away from it. That's great. Um, copyright. If, if you're doing this, I think LifeWay's already got the copyright on that. But, you know, anyway. I was giving them the credit, yeah, <laughs> um, since they're a sponsor. But uh, if you're doing your job and you're raising up leaders, you're raising up people to disagree with you at some point. Sure. Leaders are strong-willed. Leaders are opinionated. Leaders believe in the direction mm-hmm. they're going. So if you never have anybody raise up to challenge you, it's probably because you're trying to just do everything on your own mm-hmm. and you're not doing a good job of raising up strong, opinionated directional leaders. And if you want to go just a one layer deeper, we, this really, the way you respond to the way that people disagree with you really says a lot about the way you view authority, your role, other people. And one of the reasons people get so bent out of shape with uh, uh, other people or other leaders disagreeing with them is because they feel like they're the ultimate authority. And the reality is for pastors, we're not. Yeah. Wait a minute, wait, wait. What you not, we're not? The ultimate? What are you authority? talking about? Southern Baptist Convention is <laughs> oh the ultimate Lord. authority. No, holy cow! Praise that's, the Lord. Or as my son would say, "Moly cow." Moly cow. <laughs> Moly cow. <laughs> He's still learning English. That... <laughs> He's still learning English. So that's his thing. I just, Moly had, cow. I just had some crazy mental images with that one. But, um... <laughs> so, um, have you ever? Do y'all have any personal stories where another leader has disagreed with you, oh, oh, or yeah. it's come back to you, good or bad? Well, I've got all sorts of stories. No, you've got there. a really bad one, but <laughs> um, do you have any that you want to share? So, okay, so I have a I have a council at my church, and it's kind of the the chair people of all the committees and a few other people, and um, they help. There's no formal authority with the council, but they are people that I vet ideas through, and and we talk things out. And and I recently had you know an issue that came up in the church just for the lack of just for the sake of confidentiality. I'm not going to give any details, but I kind of had a specific opinion about something. Mm. And as I talked with the council, it was like one person had another opinion, then another person kind of had the same opinion with that person. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at my council, and I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm alone. I'm a, I'm on an island, mm-hmm. and. And I gotta go. Okay, wait. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I thought I'd prayed about it. I thought it through. I, th- I felt very firmly about it. But here I'm looking at my council, and there's a lot of wisdom on the council, and almost all of them disagreed with me. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you, if it's one person who disagrees with you, and you've got 20 other people that are agreeing with you, mm-hmm. you, you, you might have some validation there. But if you if you start hearing that people disagree with you and it's two, three, four, five people, you really need to take stock in what your opinion is. You still may be right, but you, at a minimum, don't have the leadership on board with you. So in that case, I followed. I went against my own gut, which is hard for me to do, mm-hmm. and I followed the advice of my counsel. And it actually ended up panning out. They they, right. they ended up being right. I, I hope mean, they don't listen to this. I mean, it, it I worked out all right. It, it would have worked I, out better if they listened to you. If but it was they fine. had been on my side, nobody would be better. But nobody died. Um, Micah, have you did you, you have any personal like stories? Can you think of any times where? Well, this happened I mean, to you? I, I can say this happens to me all the time, mm-hmm. frankly. And, and like part smart of this mouth is, preaching pastors or something. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's he not was, listening. He was paying, he wasn't even paying attention. So. Our live audience stinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He missed the moment where we All brought right. him up. No, but I mean, so for me, this is, and I like what Sam says about using a council. This is important. Yeah. Our, our church constitution 
gives me tremendous latitude. Mm-hmm. I have incredible latitude to make decisions, to do what I want. Mm-hmm. I choose to not exercise a lot of that. For one, because I don't trust myself as a soul leader. And I don't think any of us should, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think it's dangerous for any one of us to trust ourselves implicit, you know, explicitly. Um, but I, I choose to lead with what we call a lead team. It's a group of senior, senior level sort of pastors at our church. There's five of us. And I'm also a verbal processor. So every thought I have has to generally be verbalized before I can make a decision. If I don't verbalize thoughts before I make a decision, I often make bad decisions. So our lead team meeting, and, and Paul Lasso, our preaching pastor, is sitting here. He's in our lead team meeting every week because he's a part of our lead team. He can attest to this. I verbally spew every week. I mean, I just lots of thoughts, kind of throw them out on the board, and we process through them. And it's probably not a week that doesn't go by where our lead team doesn't at some point say, I'm not so sure that's the great idea, or maybe we ought to do it a little differently. And to me, I mean, I could give you specific examples here or there, but what I want to say is for me, it's a healthy part of the regular experience every week in the life of our church. Uh, now, if, if I was saying, hey, I've come and I've prayed through this and we've talked about it and I'm convi- conv- convicted that this is the direction and people were constantly saying, no, you're wrong, th- then there might be a problem. I'm just talking about the regular, normal mm. DNA of our existence. We constantly throw ideas out. We vet them in front of each other and people disagree with me all the time. Yep. And that's good. I mm-hmm. think that's a healthy part of leadership. I'm not infallible. In fact, I'm profoundly fallible. Mm-hmm. And I need people to help hold me and in, in ch- you know, provide some checks and balances in my leadership. So step one, listen. We talked listen. about that. Step one's listen. What's the next step? What do we do on this? Um, I, I would ass- I would assess the opinions that you've heard. So if everybody has a different opinion, then you know you've kind of got a mess on your hands. But if there's some themes, so when you're listening, listen for those themes. Listen for the things that people are saying that are similar, because that's how you're going to be able to build consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, and consensus is very important in leading a church. Obviously, you want to stand firm for key doctrines of the faith, and you know the you know the true vision of the church. You know those are things that you don't want to compromise. But as you lead, you know things should be shaped by the people around you. They mm. should be shaped by the leadership around you. Um, and so I would try to build consensus. So I would listen very carefully and then assess those ideas and then see where you can connect what everyone is saying and then repropose mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're that mm-hmm. you're wanting to do. What do y'all do if so we're kind of operating or we're discussing in the framework that somebody just politely says in the middle of a discussional meeting, "Hey, I don't think that's a great idea." What do you do if you find out there's a leader who has already spoken to other leaders who you find out through three or four people down the road hey you know that deacon so-and-so we're against you on this decision that you've already announced to the church let me tell you what not to do okay if somebody's been acting in an underhanded manner in other words somebody's been a jerk yeah don't be a jerk in response Mm -hmm. and i see a lot of pastors who do and they justify it well they were doing so-and-so i had to go confront them I agree with that, by the way. I do think when you hear that there's been people who are subverting pastoral authority, Mm -hmm. they're trying to deceptively um, unseat the pastor or try and assume authority that's not theirs or, you know, circumnavigate that's the pastor, that sort of thing. You need to confront them. Yeah. But it ought to be done in grace, love, and humility, Mm -hmm. not in aggressive arrogance. Yeah. Which I see from a lot of pastors and leaders. Mm -hmm. I'm the pastor. How dare you subvert my authority? I'm going to fix this, mm. right? That sort of thing. So I would say, first of all, don't respond in kind, mm. yeah. but do respond. And, and part of the, part of what, what I try to do, and I haven't done this, I haven't, I've not done this well uh, 
you know, I've tried to do it better going forward, I guess, but if someone has done that, they've been subversive, I just want to take two steps back, take a breath, and just ask yourself why. Like, and, and see if you can figure out whether it be from that person or somebody else who knows them, the motive. Because mm. the motive will often tell you a lot about what happened. So I think, I think far too often we assume the worst yeah. in these cases. And many times it's just someone who is misinformed, too emotional, got bad information. Um, that's, that's 90% of this mm. is... And if you fly off the handle, you're going you're to confirm. You're going to mm, confirm right. their exactly. worst fears. So I would I would just take two steps back and just say, okay, why? Mm. And, and most of the time, there's something that happened that misinformed the person, mm. or they just they just got mad themselves, and it just takes a calm, collective, you know, sort of conversation to pull them back in. I literally had this experience in the last seven days. Mm. A member of our church who had come. There was some issues in their life and family. We had agreed on a procedure that we were going to involve them in and engage in to hopefully work redemptively in their family. We did, but the person who had come originally didn't know about some of the steps we took. And because of some scheduling issues, it took a couple of weeks beyond when we thought we would originally meet to be able to get back together. This individual got very angry, assumed mm-hmm. that we had failed in our responsibility, went around to a number of people, told them they don't care, they don't love us, they failed in their responsibility, finally sat down. And he said, I just want to know why. Yeah. And I said, well, we did what we told you, and here's how we did it, and here's who was involved. And he said, oh, you know, I, I just uh, I yeah. didn't realize, and I, yeah. I just assumed the worst. Right. And he was hurting. Not regardless of what the church did or didn't do, there was personal situation in his life. He was deeply wounded and deeply hurting. And when he felt like the church had then failed him too, mm. it, it blossomed, and he became angry, and he then went around to other people. Yeah. A very simple, quiet, gracious conversation, but yet firm. Mm-hmm. Diffuse unra- the bomb. Diffuse the yeah. entire Diffuse thing. the bomb. Don't light the fuse. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I think there's a likelihood he's now going this week and going around to people saying, I was wrong, please. Yeah. And that, that. That's rare. That's it rare. is rare, but I think as, in his case a, it may And be I would happening. just say this to all the pastors that are listening. You just have to give up on apologies. Yes. On, res- on people apologizing to you. Yes. Because it never happens. Yeah. Well, and I will well, say this. Happens. It, re- it rarely happens that someone comes back and apologizes to you. I remember being in a meeting with Jeff Orsch, president of Gateway Seminary out in Los Angeles. And Jeff said, no, no, it wasn't even a meeting. It was in his, a book. He has a book on dealing with. It was that good that you thought you were good. there with him <laughs> yes. personally. That's I've been, a good book. I've been with him in person a few times when he spoke. <laughs> and I was thinking, but it was in a book he wrote. And. In the book, he said something to the effect of, as pastors, there are going to be times when people say things about you that aren't true, and you're going to have knowledge that you could refute what they said about, but because of various confidentiality reasons or Mm -hmm. pastoral ministry reasons, you simply can't speak. Right. And he said, pastors, you're going to have to take one for the team. Yeah. And it's going to hurt your reputation. And you got to know that's going to be a part of it. It's going to hurt your reputation. It's going to hurt you personally. Yep. Uh, we, We had a situation with a new staff member last week. new staff member was frustrated. Some folks involved in their ministry hadn't weren't responding in a way that they they were should they, they weren't responding in a way they should have and I went to this new staff member and I said I pulled him aside and I said let me just tell you two things about your ministry every day you serve in the ministry someone is going to disappoint you mm-hmm. and every day you serve in the ministry somebody's going to be mad at you mm-hmm. and if you can't go to bed at night with those two things being realities you're probably not going to make it long term mm-hmm. And, and it was a great conversation. It was helpful. We both left encouraged, and it was positive. But I wanted them to understand, you can't get into the pastoral business 
and go to bed every night thinking everybody's happy with me. Right. In fact, the reverse is generally true. There's, right. There's not that everybody's mad at you. If everybody's mm-hmm. mad at you, your tenure's going to be short. But somebody's <laughs> going to be mad at you. And I mean, that's a, that's just a necessary by- byproduct of leading. Mm-hmm. I mean, just yeah. And this th- that is really the case of any senior leadership position anywhere. It's not. I mean. Pastor, senior pastors, lead pastors experience this, but so do CEOs. That's right. So do people who lead divisions of large companies. That's right. I mean, this this is kind of a universal leadership principle. That's right. And it is part of leadership. And, right. And I would say, if you can't take the heat, I mean, I, 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 you're not... I mean, I, I want to be careful saying this. You're not... I, I personally... Maybe not cut out for it. I don't think you're called to be a pastor. Yeah. If you're not, if you can't take the heat, here's what's going to happen. You're likely going to lead a small group of people. You're not going to grow. You'll maintain until they die. Yeah. Well, I've seen a lot of, just to add to this, I've seen a lot of strength in addressing things very quickly. And so you hear people are disagreeing with you, especially leaders. And a lot of times I've found that it's more of those big mama type of leaders, the people that aren't really in a leadership position, they just carry a lot of weight, and going directly to them and asking the question, why are you mad at me? Why are you upset with this thing? Just sit down and very, it's not aggressive, it's not mean, it's just like, why are you upset about this thing? And almost immediately you'll hear the first initial reason. And then you get of it, but I didn't do that. But you seem like you're more mad at this thing. Are you more mad at this thing? Are you more mad at this? And I just ask a bunch of questions. I have never, and I've had, I would probably say in six years, I've probably only had that conversation maybe five times. But each time, it almost always includes tears. It almost always includes apologies. It almost always includes, I was wrong in this. I thought you were this. Or I was just taking it out on you. Because you also got a, another factor in this with when you're talking about going to bed and knowing that people are upset with you. It's like, I don't know. Maybe y'all, y'all may not do this. Y'all are much better husbands than I am. Sometimes when I'm frustrated at work, I take it out on Jackie because she's just the closest person there, and I can't. I've never, Josh, I've You've never, never I've, done that. I've, I've never, I've never, done that. I've never done that. I'm pretty sure that Sam, ever. Sam and I have never taken out anything on Jackie. Ever. So. <laughs> the Lord strike me so dead. so much nicer <laughs> than Jackie than I am. Think, thankfully, there's not a cloud in the sky here in Phoenix because a lightning bolt's going to come but down I think, and, and I think people me. look at pastors that way. They're like, That's they're right. supposed to take it. I That's can right. say whatever I want to to them, and it's like, it's mean people do mean things. Hurt people hurt people. You know, all that sort of sheep. And so uh, just take that into consideration and know that that's sort of just a role that you play sometimes. I don't think you should take it, and I think you teach people how to treat you. But, you know, it's it's a factor. And I would say to that point, now my response, just my affect, I'm not an in-your-face confrontational sort of guy. Mm-hmm. I'm just not that guy. Um, but I've been doing this for eight, almost 18 years now, right? Mm-hmm. And... If, and just in my experience, in almost 18 years, if someone has an issue with you and you sit down with them and in grace and love address it, you're not always going to agree at the mm-hmm. end of the day. I, I, I can tell you about something in the last six weeks where two key older leaders in my church disagreed with me on a theological position. Mm-hmm. I met with both of them individually. We had kind, gracious conversations. One of them left unconvinced. We still were not in agreement. The other one left uh, close to being convinced, right on the border. But both of them are still together with me. Mm-hmm. They're not divisive. They're not ish- spreading issues. Now, I'm not saying that won't happen. There's going to be sometimes you can be kind, you can be gracious, you can be loving. People are still jerks. Mm. But I think the majority of the time, if you're kind, gracious, clear, but kind and gracious, you can at least leave, maybe not in agreement, but at least together, mm-hmm. even if you're not in agreement. And if you've already listened to the critiques and you've already tried to work towards consensus, those conversations go a lot smoother, yes. a lot smoother. Yeah. When should you, we haven't really talked about this, when should you bring other people into the conversation? 
Ooh. Um, That's a tough... There's going to be different answers to that yeah, question. Yeah. I usually wait a little bit. Um, I don't... I don't make that my first step. I really want to hear the person out. And, and I've found, you, you know, if I just keep my big mouth shut, mm-hmm. at which I I have a big mouth, I like to use a lot of words, and I have a lot of opinions, but, um, but if I just keep my big mouth shut and I just actually just listen, if I sit down with a person and I just let them talk, 90% of the problem is solved. They just mm-hmm. want it to get it off their chest. And they're done. Mm. Um, and, but let's say they don't. And, and okay, so in, so who do, who, in the cases where bring they don't, so I, 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 I would bring in somebody that they trust. You don't well, want it to when? be so like one conversation with them and it doesn't if go well. If you can't reconcile two, it in one conversation, that's probably the, the. I mean, for me, if you can't reconcile it in one significant conversation, there's probably a good chance someone else needs to be involved. So well, then who? Well, and but I would I would say I, I would say it depends, Micah, because. Let's say it's a theological disagreement, and you guys are just kind of working it through. Oh no! If you're just trying to, if you're not trying to resolve it, if you go into a meeting trying to resolve it, and you just can't resolve it, is my point. I, I well, if it's still, theological, if there's a path and they don't agree with Grudem, I still might members? give it forty-eight hours a week, depending depending. Oh, on I'm the not issue. saying necessarily bring them in the next day. I'm saying this: if you if you get in one meeting, you try and resolve it, and there's just a stalemate. You yeah. can't get there. Then the next time you meet, it could be a week, it could be two weeks. Um, if, if you're still no resolution, there's a good chance you'll need to bring well, something. Let me tell you what. But if there's a the path to resolution, here. you're describing something where there may be a path to resolution. It may take a few meetings, but there's a path right, to resolution. Right, right. I, okay, I see what you're saying. In that sense, if there's a path to resolution, then it's still going to be just me. Now, I will give you one other example. Okay. There is one example that I can think of in my ministry from very early on in my ministry mm-hmm. where I realized where I had to bring someone in at the fir- with my very first conversation every time I had a conversation with this individual. Mm-hmm. Key volunteer leader... <clears throat> That ultimately had to be removed from their position. Mm-hmm. But but I, I met with them one or two times when I first got there. I found out that every time we met, they would take what I said and use it inappropriately. Mm-hmm. They would they would twist what I said and use it to be divisive in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, or they would attack me. And mm-hmm. what happened more often than not was they would attack me in the meeting when we were private. At that point, I recognized that I could no longer ever meet with this individual on my own. Right. And I always required another leader to be in the room every single time. From the very, if, if he wanted to have a conversation with me, the very first conversation, there was another leader in the room. Mm. I just wasn't going to open myself up to it. For, it. Just protection for both of you. Sure. Yeah, I think there's wisdom in that. If, if the person, if reconciliation just doesn't look like it's going to happen... Then it is. That's when you bring in yes. somebody else. Right. But, but who? You almost said it a minute ago. I would. Who? I, I would. Tr- if there is somebody that that person trusts that can be brought in, and that and this other individual is uh, wise and and can, you know, look at something through uh, eyes that are unbiased, better well, because well, you don't want it to be. You don't want it to be you and someone else versus that person. It, right. it feels well, like us share, versus you know us versus them. So I was talking with a pastor, and he was having some issues. And it was really kind of divisive. And his reaction, I'm not saying it's a bad or a good reaction, but his, his gut reaction was to go get the denomination involved. Ooh, so ah, he went to the state office. I generally yeah. don't do yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. So I if you have to go outside of the church. Yeah. So Stay within the my, church. My I don't know pushback why was, why don't you get another to, church? I, yeah, I don't know why involved. you would need to go outside. I mean, it would take a while for me to see that he, there was a situation where you had to was, go outside they, the church. Oh, well, they stated they were trying to get him fired. And it was like... Well, I mean, if it's the entire Ooh, church, level. the only way I could see where that was a necessary step is if the whole church was against you. And frankly, if that's the case, then you should. There's no reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's over at that right. point. Even if you win that argument, here's the problem with using an outside person to navigate it. 
particularly right off the bat. Nobody in the church, what did I say earlier? You can't lead change without relational investment. You have to have mm-hmm. relational credibility. Mm-hmm. Anybody outside the church doesn't have, they may have positional credibility. Mm-hmm. They have a positional authority, but they don't have relational credibility. You, you can't get relational credibility from outside the body. So we're up against the time here, but are there any decisions, like categories of decisions in which you just won't back down on this decision? Like Sure. Like Sure. Doctrinal decisions. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Key, key doctrines. Key doctrinal we, decisions. We have, sure. We have uh, eight key doctrines in our church mm-hmm. that not only, not only will I lose my job over those doctrines, I'll lose my life mm-hmm. over those doctrines. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, would you say it's a hill on which to die? Uh, Every like inerrancy. Every single well, okay, you threw out a word there in the middle of my comment that, <laughs> that people define that word differently. Like sexuality. I'm just okay. messing with you. Just, Keep talking. This is called a provocateur. <laughs> the, He's having fun right now. Substitutionary atonement of Christ. <laughs> Plenary the, deity, the deity of Christ. Those are doctrines that Which I will okay. that I right. will die for. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. Good. I'm glad you would. Yeah, I think there are. If it, listen, if there aren't issues upon which you are unwilling to waver, you should get out of the pulpit. Mm. If, if there are not issues that you're that convictional about, then you don't believe anything and stop it. Mm-hmm. The problem is, in my experience, it's not that people have a lack of conviction. It's that often pastors are convictional about things they probably shouldn't be convictional. I think that's key. This is the problem. Yeah. Don't be convictional about what kind of clothes you wear in the church. Sure. Don't be convictional. I mean, well, I want to say this carefully. Sure, you can have a conviction about those things, but you're not going to get fired. Don't get fired over what clothes you wear in the church. Don't get, I mean, I guess if people didn't want you to wear clothes in the church, maybe that's fireable, but <laughs> generally speaking, your style shouldn't yeah. get you fired. You know, if, if... I've seen some pastors whose style should get them well, fired. <laughs> that may be a different issue. I mean, my church is a good there's example. A, there's a website to fix that. Yeah. My, there is it, Pastor it, Fashion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. PastorFashion.com. So my, church, my church is a good example of this. So I have... Um, you know, I have uh, s- services where I, um, you know, where I wear a suit and tie, uh-huh. and I have services where I wear jeans and a short sleeve shirt. Right. And, you know, I have a preference over what I'd like to wear, but none of those am I going to make a big deal out of. Right. We're just going to wear what it, you know, it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get fired over the music we play, generally mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. But I'm with Sam. I'll yeah. get fired over substitutionary atonement. Sure. I'll get fired over. I think there's doctrinal issues. I think that there are other issues. Um, that maybe don't seem like doctrinal issues, like like race, like racism. I'll get fired over I've, that. I've got a yeah. zero, well, yeah. zero yeah, tolerance, absolutely. zero tolerance for I've racism. Got, I've got theological reasons for that, but you know they don't it's seem a gospel. that That's way. A gospel yeah, issue. It's gospel yeah. issues. So very good. Well, you guys, thanks so much for doing this. It's fun. I, I call this live, but it's in it's a special relationship. Hey, Michael, what seminary do you attend? I go to Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Did you say it's one of the best seminaries it's in the world? Fantastic! As I my good friend you. Paul Lasso over here would say, it's fantastic. We love it. Is great. Love. I'm doing a. Let me just uh, let me. So here's my little plug. You don't have your script in front of you, so I'm going to do don't. this. I'm doing a PhD in North American Missiology at Southeastern Seminary. It has been the most intellectually stimulating, mm. challenging experience of my life. Wow. And, and here's the thing. It's not because of the books we read, though that's part of it. It's not because of the buildings, though they're gorgeous. The magnolia trees, it's fantastic. It's because of the professors, the, the people who I get to work with. Who are some with of the people under, you get to study with at Southeast? I'm studying under Alvin Reed and Keith Whitfield and, uh, I mean, just such brilliant minds in mm-hmm. their field. Chuck Lawless on the issue of leadership and higher education. and I mean, it's just 
Jamie Dew and Bruce Ashford. I mean, the, the list, George Robinson, the list could go on and on and on, sure. and not to mention Danny Aiken, you know, right. who's the president of the school. So if you're looking for a theological education... Don't whether, forget about Art Rayner. And then Art Rayner. The good Dr. Sam Rayner's brother, Dr. Art Rayner, <laughs> who just had a new book come out in yep. the last week. Money, the money Challenge. challenge. Little, yeah. plug, little plug. Great book. Even, even though he's not an official sponsor. He's not a sponsor. He's my brother. The money cha- he should pony up the money to sponsor the Money Challenge That's on our I'm show. Saying, wrote That's a book what I'm talking straight about. Straight up. Yes, but Dr. Art Rayner. And uh, we should say, we should mention that Sam got his doctorate, but not until after Dr. Art Rayner and his wife, Dr. Sarah Rayner, both got their doctorates. But anyway, you know. It's not competition. I don't, Sam's still younger than me, and I don't have mine finished yet. I don't so. compete with my brothers ever on anything. Thank you very much. I compete with my brother on everything all the time. So Southeastern's fantastic. We also need to mention Pastor Talk. Yes, uh, it's a, with our good friend Marty Duran. Marty Duran, who is their friend. I don't actually know Marty, but one day maybe if... Maybe. I don't know. Marty's here. Him. Marty's here in Phoenix. I'll just go you stalk go him say down to him. say, yeah. hey, I need to plug your website. And so he's got a blog. He's got a uh, podcast where you can listen to him interview and talk to other leaders and thinkers and pastors. It's a fantastic resource. You can find that at lifeway.com slash pastors talk. You can find it on iTunes or other podcatchers as well as our show, EST. So make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes and Twitter. We are at EST Church. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.